Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score, May 31st, heading into June. Not a whole lot happening because it is the offseason, the longest offseason of college sports. But that doesn't mean there isn't things to talk about. There's not controversies to talk about. There's not roster movement to talk about. No, malarkey. We got all that stuff to talk about. And that's what we're going to talk about today. BK, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Nate. Our coach is making waves down in SEC media, whatever this is, time of the year. Um, it's It's been an interesting week in Mizzou fandom, but we're doing all right, man. By the way, uh, for any Mizzou fans that are listening to this, I'm sure you're also a basketball fan. Congratulations to Kobe Brown, him staying in the draft. It certainly seems like that means that he's going to be selected in this year's NBA draft and as tough as that is as a loss for Mizzou, it's awesome for Kobe Brown to be able to live out his dream in the NBA. So congratulations to him. But we are a football podcast, so we'll spoke, uh, focus specifically on the football side of things. Yeah. It's, a, it's a loss for your college team, but it is always good to send somebody into the professional. Always, always good. So congrats to Kobe as well. All right, let's talk about football. Uh, not as good news as Kobe Brown going, probably going to be drafted. But we are going to talk about college kids no longer being on your team. Let's start with Daniel Kalen. Remember that guy? He's a quarterback out of Nebraska. Uh, he seemed to be a bit of a, uh, you know, kind of the, the the lead steam engine on recruiting for Missouri. He was very active on social media, talking to recruits, trying to get them to Columbia, being active and then and, and retweeting their posts and and quote tweeting and saying, "Yeah, come to the zoo, come to the home." Well, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Nebraska, like the University of Nebraska. Uh, was figuring to be kind of in on the number one quarterback of this upcoming recruiting class, Dylan Rayola. And his dad actually played for Nebraska, so he's a bit of a legacy uh, legacy recruit if he were to commit to Nebraska. Now, Matt Rule, the new, the new head coach at Nebraska, he and his staff were pretty feeling pretty bullish that they had a chance with Rayola. Uh, and that dude actually ended up committing to Georgia. As soon as that happened, almost exactly as soon as that happened, our boy Daniel Kalen decommits from the University of Missouri. And I think less than 24 hours later, committed to the University of Nebraska. So it's not a huge surprise because he is a Nebraska kid. Uh, but it is kind of a surprise just because he seemed really bought in with Missouri and the whole bringing kids to your school aspect of, of the student part of recruiting. So BK, how do you feel? I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, it's a reminder that social media is not real. So, like, as much as somebody can be tweeting out all the right things or saying all the right things publicly, man, he's a quarterback. He's been trained his entire life to do and say the things that he was doing and saying when he committed to the University of Missouri. I believe he wanted to go to Mizzou. I believe he wanted to go to Nebraska more. And so when he had the opportunity to get his dream school... Like, who could blame him? Of course. You want to go play for the in-state school, like, really the professional team in the state of Nebraska? Go do it. No harm, no foul. I don't blame the kid for it. It does put Mizzou in a really interesting bind right now. Not necessarily, not because of the quarterback position. Like, I'm not super worried about that. It really just brings up kind of, and it's not necessarily, like, specific to him. They have two commits, man. Two. Okay, yeah, that's not great. They don't have a single player. You you know we like the the ratings even more than just the star ratings over on Rivals. They don't have a single player rated 5.7 or above on the Rivals network right now. They've got an offensive tackle who's listed as a tight end, and they've got a tight end who, like, is a big dude that we have no idea how he's going to translate to the next level right now out of Joplin, Missouri. That That is their current list of commits. Now, this time last year... They have three. So it's not the end of the world. That class ended up ranking 32nd nationally. You can still have a successful recruiting class without having a bunch of dudes committed on June 1st. That is totally reasonable. But <laughs> it doesn't typically happen such that you have a bunch of blue chip recruits that jump on late. When Missouri gets them, it's about 50-50 in terms of how many they get before June 1st and after June 1st. A lot of the times, those those best kids are in-state recruits, and they're jumping on board early in a recruiting class. There's not a whole lot of opportunities left for Missouri to get in-state four-stars or better. And let's be honest, 
Missouri doesn't really get a whole lot of out-of-state four-stars or better. So it's going to be a a very interesting rest of this recruiting class because, man, I I don't really know where this is going. I, I don't really know exactly what they're going to end up with this summer, but it needs to be a really hot summer in Columbia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to the quarterback aspects, I mean, he, he would have been an incoming freshman with four guys ahead of him. And at least two, yeah, two of those guys have two years of eligibility each. Warren and Johnson have five. So, so I mean, to be fair though, like I, I would, I think it's fair to assume multiple of those quarterbacks will transfer after this year. Absolutely, depending on how things go. So like, they do need a quarterback. They, they you gotta to take one every class. Yeah. yeah, you gotta take one every class. But whoever you bring in from the freshman class is not going to start next year. So there is no pressure to be you know knock it out of the park with this one. To your point about recruiting overall, yeah. Like, I I like it when Missouri gets recruiting wins, and we have been conditioned to not only fall in love with the Stars, but fall in love with kind of early recruiting, like you said, even if it is only usually three around this time. Here's where I'm going to start to worry, though. There is a weekend in June where every recruit that Missouri is talking to is going to be on campus, including the two that they already have with a verbal commitment. If we get out of that and we have four or God forbid zero, that's when we all need to freak out and go, what the heck is happening with the staff and their recruiting? At the same time, my God, they recruit over their own high school kids constantly. This is Eli Drinkwitz and his staff in three years have almost run this program like a JUCO, where they just find cast-offs from Power 5 players, Power 5 teams, and bring them on. Hey, come on, come in here. We'll, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll bring you on. You'll see playing time here. So... I'm not saying high school recruiting isn't important. I think it is very important. I also think recruiting your own roster is important, which they've shown to do a pretty good job with that. And I think recruiting the portal is also very important. So let's 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 freak out after the middle of June. That's that's when you can start freaking out. Uh, agreed. And I would also add this for this staff, like as much as let me let me say this another way. One of the primary reasons Mizzou fans got on board with Eli Drinkwitz was because of his early recruiting success in the high school ranks. Mm-hmm. You look back to that 2021 class, which ranks 19th in the country by rivals. There's like two guys that are still like legitimate contributors on the roster today. That's not why they're going to succeed or fail this year. Like what What's based on what's actually on the field for them. What's helping them right now is the fact that they've been really good in the transfer portal, to your point. And so I, I do think for me, I am going to devalue a bit what they're doing recruiting-wise at the high school level because they just don't seem to value it themselves the way that they did early on in their tenures. I think they might have realized we're better at this when we go to the transfer portal because there's just more information available. You get to see what they look like against legitimate college programs. You're a, you have a better understanding of what that looks like in in high school, you just it's so hard to know what the level of competition is that they're going up against. Because even if you have, like in the state of Missouri, a 6A program, right? A big time football program, Rocker, CBC, these types of programs. Every week they could be going up against a guy that's going to Mizzou next year for a journalism degree. Like that that is in play because those are some of the guys that end up starting at big time programs. And so you just don't know what that competition looks like so they could have a ton of highlights but what's the competition then they get to the sec they get to the big 10 wherever and they end up even if it's like a hundred snaps at the next level you can find out all right can they actually hold their own or not are they going to be able to play at this level and i think they're better when they have that extra set extra data set of information so i will give them credit for that i also think it's a little bit strange to not lean on high school recruiting and a little disappointing uh, that at this point in the process, they have two commits, two. That is the fewest that they've had at this point in the season, in the recruiting process since 2019, mm-hmm. that that class. So the 2018 June, that was the last time they were this light in terms of their recruiting on June 1st. Yeah. yeah. And just as a reminder, that 2018 class finished 39th in the country. Um, your two blue chippers were Chad Bailey and uh, Daniel Parker Jr. That's where you're treating Jeff Coat, Jalen Knox, Cam Scott, uh, Nick Bolton. Mm, Nick Bolton was a February of eighteen commitment. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where you're looking at. It's 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 
you're starting to get to concerned territory. And I get that. Uh, but to your point about scouting, I mean, God, there are scouts, like professional scouts, like getting paid a lot of money to do this scouts who do this and only this for NFL teams and still screw it up with eight years of tape. Okay. So it is hard to evaluate football players at a high school level, even at a college level. You just don't know. So the more information you get, the better. Yeah. And like, there's going to be players out there that are slam dunk. No, no doubt. Okay. This kid's going to be awesome, whatever. But you, it's, it's really hard. It is really, really hard to evaluate football talent. And if, if that's what they have to thrive in, in the portal with a couple of years of, of tape, then do play to your strengths, right? Life is too short to try and be good at things that you're not good at. If you are really good at, at evaluating once they've been here, then, then lean into that, do that. That's totally fine. Um, but so yeah, well, good luck, Daniel. Uh, if you even end up at Nebraska, I hope we never play you, but you know, whatever, have a, have a great life. Um, let's go on to some fun developments. And this is more from a scheduling standpoint. Uh, Missouri's 2023 schedule is slowly rounding into form or figuring out when things are going to happen. Earlier today, they gave the dates for Middle Tennessee and for Kansas State. But the one that I want to talk about, the one that actually is impacting people, is going to be the opener against South Dakota. Now, of course, the Arkansas game did get moved to Black Friday, as it usually does. That's At this point, it's expected. It's not a surprise. But South Dakota, they were supposed to open up on a Saturday morning or you know, 11 o'clock Saturday. It's going to be at night on Thursday. Now, I will say this. I like the move. I know that it was the second least uh, populated game last year, which means, yes, uh, the FCS game did draw more people than the game against Louisiana Tech to open the year. Yes, that is true. Uh, New Mexico State was the least attended game, by the way. But still, the environment in Pharrell, the, the pictures that you got from that, and then, of course, the absolute butt-kicking that followed just made it a very memorable night for a game that was set up to not be a memorable sort of thing. So, BK, what are your thoughts? I think it's great. Um, Like you said, it's about the fan experience, really, for these games. And Thursday night is just better than Saturday morning, which, let's be honest, that's when it was going to be. Your choice is 11 a.m. on Saturday or 7 o'clock prime time on a Thursday night. Just more fun. Like, as as a fan, I would rather do that on Thursday night. I understand if you got kids or something and you want to go to a game that's super easy to get to, you know it's going to be lesser attended, and so you want to go to the one on Saturday at 11 a.m. early in the season because you know it's going to be pretty warm, too. It's reasonable temperatures. I get why you'd be upset about this. But guess what? It's more fun for everybody else, especially the college kids, to go to the game against South Dakota on Thursday night, and that's really what they're trying to do. They're trying to make this a fun environment that, whether it's for recruiting purposes or just fans in the stands that are coming to their first Mizzou game, let's show them a good time on a Thursday night. That's really all this is about. On the Black Friday one, I think Mizzou's kind of lost its corner on this, man. I, I think I think it's kind of over. Um, the NFL has now encroached. I don't know if you saw this. The NFL now has the Dolphins versus the Jets on Friday at 2 o'clock on Prime Video. So at least it's not on like the typical broadcast network television. But that's going to definitely cut into the numbers for Mizzou versus Arkansas. And then like half of the college football slate is scheduled to be on Friday now. Yeah, it's it used to be niche it used to be unique and fun and now it's just another day that college football happens it's so like 15 games on saturday and every other game is played on black friday it's amazing i you if you want to to build out the college football roster on friday i'm not a huge fan but i'm understanding i understand it nfl stay in your lane and i know you think your lane is the freaking world i understand that leave college football alone it's struggling as it is it doesn't need you to help kill it this is your free minor leagues sirs please stop making it harder for them to develop and be playing the game and being on tv like this is this is detrimental to your product nfl but you know whatever that's a that's a topic for later um but yeah prime video a lot of people have prime i don't know how many people are going to tune in to watch the dolphins what what was it again dolphins jets it's a fun one. It's a good game. 
if you, if you say so. Aaron Rodgers versus the Dolphins. It'll, it'll... Is Tua still alive? I know he was. Yeah. Okay. He's well, still around. Okay. Well, I do. Jalen Waddle, Tua, Tua Tyreek Hill. It's going to be a fun offense. Devon A-Chain, the, the Texas A&M mm-hmm. running back, who is like a track speedster. They've got ridiculous amounts of speed on that team. If you want to watch a game this year, that's a fun one to watch, but don't watch it because you're going to be watching this Look, man, I don't know a lot about the NFL. I know the Jets are never fun, even if you do have Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, whatever. That's fine. But, yeah, I, you know, I went to the game Thursday last year. It was a blast. It's great. Like, I, it, it got me to go back to Columbia, which, you know, again, with two little kids, it's hard for me to do anything. Um, but I, that's something that I did. I had a friend of mine from uh, Los Angeles fly in. We went down. It was great. It was a great time. Um, so, yeah, I think this is, this is cool. If it, 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 it gives you an opportunity for a memorable game. When again, Missouri versus South Dakota, for all intents and purposes, should not be a memorable game. If it is, something's gone horribly awry. Well, okay, yeah, you did. Yeah, you just put that into the ether. Thank you. That's that's great. Well, you were the one that did it, really. Okay, thank you for victim blaming. That's great. Um, let's talk about scheduling and get some more. Except let's get out of the Missouri sphere and let's go into the SEC, because the SEC is having their little destined meetings this week and one of the big topics that they are talking about with Texas and Oklahoma in the house is whether they're going to go to an eight game conference schedule or a nine game conference schedule man this seems like the least important most important conversation that you could be having right now there is a lot of oxygen there's a lot of ink spilled about this a lot of strong opinions but I am having a hard time getting amped to talk about it i mean bk do you have strong opinions or are you very much in my camp here oh i guess it depends like you know we have a just philosophical disagreement on scheduling in general i want to see good games like quality opponents you want to see wins i do both of which i think are fair ways to look at it and really that's the divide here like, would you rather see Mizzou play one more game against a high-level opponent, or would you like to see them be able to schedule South Dakota, Middle Tennessee State, um, and Memphis and K-State? Like, that that's that's really the question here. So, um, I, I think for fans, if you want another win, you want them to go to the eight-game schedule. I am... A little surprised, honestly, that Eli Drinkwitz is out here suggesting, hey, we got to go to nine. We got to go to nine. We got to go to nine. That is completely opposed to everything that Mizzou probably should be standing for, given where it's at in its program right now. Um, But that's that's really where the divide come it comes in. It comes down to strength of schedule versus wins. And as a fan, if you just want more wins, you probably are rooting for the eight as opposed to the nine. Yeah. As a fan of college football, they need to go to nine. 100%. There's nothing better than seeing the best play the best. And it is surprising to see Nick Saban also be pushing for the eight. And I think part of that might be the rise of Tennessee and LSU, which would probably be their their permanent you know opponents. So I get that, but... That's the other thing for Mizzou, right? Like, there's not a whole lot of natural rivalries that you're losing out on. Whereas with an Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, LSU, if you don't go to the nine, you do stand to lose more in terms of those rivalries. Yeah. And, like, people talk about the playoff because, again, you can't talk about college football without mentioning the playoff anymore. But we don't know how they're going to value wins and losses in this new era of college football where – we have so many conference changes, and then we're going to have 16 teams at conferences. We don't know how they're going to value that. They are people. Their opinions can change. It's not a formula that is static. So, you know, if you're if you're part of your argument is, well, another loss is going to mean that, you know, the second best, you know, Pac-12 team gets in over the third best or fourth best SEC team. Like, you don't know that. Nobody knows anything. Like, we, we don't know how that's going to be valued. So I, I feel like that's a that's an argument that can be made in the future when you once again meet in Destin like you do every year to discuss the upcoming season. For me, again, I want the SEC to go to nine because I want a good product. As a Missouri fan, I want eight because I want wins. So I, I am at a, a crossroads. I'm going to be happy and, and sad no matter what they choose. Um, but yeah, I mean, just pick one. And, and Greg Sinke said today they did not have enough information to make a an educated decision at this point, which I don't know what that means you do. Uh, that means maybe you kick it, kick the can down the road 
and decide next year or Texas Texas and Oklahoma are going to get into the league. We're going to have the schedule come out and they're going to be determining at that time. Are we going eight or nine? (laughs) Like we're not going to know after until after the schedule is already released. That's how ridiculous all of this is. Just come to a decision, guys. Let's go. Also, you make your own rules. It's like if you go eight and then you go nine and then you go eight, it it kind of matters, but it really doesn't matter. You just make it up the way you want it. I, I know there's votes and it's, you know, one of four or 16 now, one of 16. So you got to get a, a majority, but whatever. I, just make a decision. This does not, this should not be taking up that much atmosphere. But again, it's the off season, so you can't help it. Now, along those lines. And we're getting into weird hypotheticals here, which it's the off season. It's the it's the time for weird hypotheticals. Uh, in the news, there's a lot of rumors swirling. We've talked about Colorado. This might be a half Colorado podcast at this point with the amount that we have talked about Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes. But the news this week is not about Coach Prime. It's not about him chasing off all of his roster. It's about this, the University of Colorado and a rumor that they might be looking to leave the Pac-12 and another rumor that they might be going back to the Big 12. Which, again, if you told 2014 yourself that, would you believe you? Like, It's it's such a, a bonkers uh, thought process at this point. But again, if you, don't, if you haven't been keeping up with the news, the Pac-12 is in a lot of financial trouble right now. Not only are USC and UCLA bolting for the Big 10, but Larry Scott, the former Pac-12 commissioner, had allowed Comcast, one of the the distributors of the Pac-12 network, to overpay for the services of distributing the network, overpaying knowingly and told nobody. Um, so Comcast is withholding funds that they owe to the big to the Pac-12, excuse me, over a 12-year period, 10 or 12-year period, which has caused some schools like Washington State to put their entire university in a hiring freeze. So that's where we're at with the Pac-12. The, we can't make any more hires for our school because our conference commissioner wasn't upfront with how much money they were getting and was trying to sneak in some extra cash. So, yeah, it kind of feels like the Pac-12 is a sinking ship at this point. You've got your two of your marquee brands going somewhere else, and you're also not going to get as much money as you were banking on. And so Colorado is looking to leave. BK, number one, what the heck Pac-12 and then once you answer that, I got a second question for you. So let's let's start with that. Yeah, so let's start with the Pac-12. Um, if you had told me 10 years ago that the Pac-12 was going to be the conference that ends up dissolving after all of this, I would have said, they're, you're nuts. Like, there's there's no way. They've got USC. They've got Oregon. Like, they've got UCLA. They, they've got real gravitas with, like, you're, you're tied in this, this Rose Bowl thing, right? The entire construct of the college football bowl system is around really one game. It's around the bowl, around the Rose Bowl. They have this specific day, this time. Everything about the college football playoff has revolved around this game. And it doesn't really matter anymore. It hasn't for a long time. But they get all of this um, special treatment because of who they are and historically what they've been. So the tie-in for that bowl is the Pac-12 versus the Big Ten. And now one of those conferences is likely to go away. So this notion that, like, that's the one that is going to be gone is shocking to me. I thought for sure it would have been the Big 12. They would disintegrate into all of these different conferences, right? You'd have some teams that ended up in the Mountain West. You'd have some that ended up in the Big Ten, SEC, so on and so forth. But in general, that would be the one that dissolves. And instead, USC and UCLA are bolting for the big 10 that doesn't really make any sense but okay fine whatever i guess that's the way that it's going to go i'm guessing washington and oregon won't be too far behind in that regard we'll see what ends up happening to them and then you've just got a lot of other stuff that's there so colorado i think this is a smart move for them honestly i think that it's probably the right thing for them to do they made some sense geographically with the pac-12 um I think they align a little bit with the Pac-12 in a way that honestly, like Mizzou really doesn't with the SEC and we can get into that, but it just hasn't really worked. It, it hasn't really worked for them in terms of what where their sports fit into the Pac-12. And I think it's going to make more sense in the Big 12 for them, especially financially speaking. So 
Um, I think it's going to end up working out well for them. I think it's a really smart move if they decide to go this path. It's just a shocking move because I never in a million years saw this coming for the Pac-12 conference. No. I think socially Colorado fits in with the West Coast really well. But from an athletic investment standpoint, absolutely not. The Pac-12 is an Olympics athlete generation machine. That's, that is their thing. Stanford won the Learfield Cup like, what, 20 years in a row? Just because all of their athletic programs outside of football and basketball are really freaking good. And that's true across the board. Like Oregon track and field, Washington track and field, like all, all the Olympic stuff, the Pac-12 knocks it out of the park. So Colorado was never really a fit for that. Um, I, I, if that's what they want to do, if they want to go back, if the Pac-12 will take them, I think that makes a lot of sense. Again, nutso. And I can't wait to figure out how we're wrong about this 10 years from down the road. Because yeah. just... Things do not make sense as you go down. But, BK, you brought up an interesting question, and I want to recite it here and give you credit for the idea. If you knew then what you know now, would you want Missouri to leave the Big 12? All right, Mizzou fans, settle down, settle down. I know Mizzou had to make the choice. They had to. And I agreed with it at the time because, as I just said, I thought the Big 12 wasn't going to exist in 2023. Not the way that it did. I thought if it existed in any form, it was going to be considered like a Mountain West type of a conference. Or it was like TCU, K-State, Texas Tech, KU, like the the holdovers, right? The, the guys that didn't have a spot anywhere else. And so they all kind of stuck together for the good of each other. And they decided, you know what? We're going to become a mid-major. Maybe we end up being really good at basketball. Like they invite some like Cincinnati to the to the um, idea, like all, all of these sorts of things, right? You become a, a mid a high level mid-major conference. And instead, it's it's worked. Like they have found a way to keep this thing afloat, even despite losing some of their biggest tenants in the conference. So I didn't see that coming. And if I knew then what I know now. I would have stayed because as much as people will say, yeah, but BK, the money, think about the money. Think about the money. Yeah. What about the money? It's great to get a bigger check every year. It is. It also costs a bleep ton of money to compete playing football in the SEC. The likes of which Missouri does not, has not, and will not have. It's just, it can't compete budget wise with teams like Georgia or Tennessee or Alabama the way that they invest into their football program is astronomical compared to what Missouri has to offer. They can pay their coach six million bucks. I mean, that's the start of investment in SEC football. That is just the beginning. In the Big 12, it's not that way. Not to the same degree. Yeah, you got to go up previously against Texas and Oklahoma. There are a couple of big spenders, but that is what it is like from top to bottom in the SEC. So you get a bigger check. You also have to spend a higher percentage of that check to compete. Mm -hmm. Culturally speaking, I think Missouri made a lot more sense in the Big 12. Um, I think sports-wise, like the way that the Big 12 cared about basketball, I think made more sense for Mizzou. The way that Mizzou competes in football, I think the Big 12 makes more sense and made more sense for Mizzou. I understood at the time, and I continue to understand today, why the move was made. And I don't regret it necessarily. But if I knew then what I knew now... I would take it back. I would probably stick in the Big 12. Yeah. I mean, the Big 12, you were the fourth nicest house in the neighborhood. Not the best neighborhood. Not the biggest, but a good one. Upper middle class. Now now you're the, the smallest, worst house in a super nice neighborhood. Right? Because Vanderbilt's on a boat. Right? Vanderbilt's never in the neighborhood. They're always on the, on the water. Right? Commodores. They've got the yacht. They got the yacht. <laughs> like, oh, hello. Mm, you know, eat my you know, bonbons and smoke my pipe on the water. Right? And Ole Miss and Mississippi State are like the really nice house on the outside that like you get into it and there's just a frat party every weekend. <laughs> that's 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 where you're at. I, I mean, I am with you. It, without knowing how it was going to end up, you had to go somewhere. Now, I, I was more of a proponent for the Big Ten. I didn't think they were a... 100% lockstep, uh, cultural athletics fit. But I thought they were a lot better there than the than the SEC. 
Uh, but you know, yeah, you, you had to leave because you didn't think the the Longhorn Network was going to go anywhere. You didn't think Texas and Oklahoma were ever going to leave. You didn't think that uh, just there's no way you could you could have foreseen it. But yeah, if if you could go back and you could tell Missouri decision makers everything we just ran down this show, right, and say, look, you know, Colorado's coming back. <laughs> Nebraska hates it in the Big Ten. Texas A and M's pissed that Texas is coming in. Like it. The amount of money to spend, like Gary Pinkle said it when they made the move, that they had to increase their investment if they wanted to be competitive. And he called it, right? Now, he he did some other things to try and close the gap, but it just, it's it's tough. It's a lot tougher in football, and that's that's what we care about. So, yeah, I think I might have stayed. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have been as fun, but are you having a lot of fun right now in the SEC? Because, like, most of the time, we're five and five, six and seven, six and seven. Right, six and six the year before the five and five. Like, it's okay, but you are outgunned. You are the money cannon is smaller, and you have a smaller chance of jumping up and, and winning the, the division, or I guess whatever we go to the pod. Um, that's, that's just tougher to do now. Um, so it, it does seem like that might be the most sense now. But again, you can't you can't make those decisions. I uh, can't go in the past and do that. So. Hypothetical thought experience. That's all. All right. We've we've delayed it long enough. Let's talk about the Drinkwitz quote. Let's talk about the kerfuffle. So in those destined meetings, Eli Drinkwitz spoke to the media. And while he was talking to the media, he was asked a question. And when he answered that question, he had a little snippet of his answer get taken out and tweeted out by Ross Dellinger. In case you live under a rock and you're not knowing what I'm talking about, Ross Dellinger tweeted this. Missouri coach Eli Drinkwood says college players, through NIL, are making more money than his brother-in-law, who is a pediatrician. Quote, he saves lives. So that's what Ross tweeted out. Now, what did Eli Drinkwood say in context? Here you go. He did a sigh. Uh, when he was asked, uh, when you see issues with gambling arising, what's your approach with your team about that issue? Is there an element of surprise or is that inevitable? So he was asked about gambling. Here's what he says. Y'all really are trying to get me in trouble here. Uh, Deion Sanders had a really good quote the other day talking about young men are joining a business, but we want to treat them like kids. We're giving guys 18, 19, 22-year-olds life-changing money. People are making more money in NIL than my brother-in-law, who's a pediatrician who saves lives, and we kind of do it cavalier, and we think that there's not going to be any side effect. There's not going to be any issues. There's information out there. There's bad actors always trying to make a dollar. I think it's going to become one of the key issues that we face in our locker rooms. I think it's more prevalent because there's more money involved. Everyone's trying to make a dollar. These young men are getting a lot of money. That is a lot right now. Other than trying to hand out advice and provide some parameters to it, you know, with this NIL situation, we've created our own problems in college sports. That is what he said. It's the full thing. So, Eli Drinkwitz, P5 coach, says something that gets taken out of context and blasted on the internet. Welcome to the internet, my dude. Um, this sort of thing happens. Uh, BK, I know that we, we participated in this. Um, I know we've got some thoughts on it. I'm just going to open up the floor and let you fill the space. So let me once again restate the question that was asked. Because I think this is an important part of the conversation. It like, is. Even for those that are saying, guys, what about the context? Yeah, think about the context for a what second. That context? Of what the question was that was asked. When you see issues with gambling arising... What is your approach with your team about that issue? Is there an element of surprise or is that something that is inevitable? All right. Pause for a second here to go away from the quote, go away from what Drinkwitz had to say. This is a, first of all, great question to ask in this kind of a scenario. The Alabama head uh, baseball coach was fired for gambling on sports. We have seen in the NFL multiple players over the course of the last two seasons suspended either due to gambling on football or gambling on other sports within the specific uh, the the uh, facilities for the team. 
Jamison Williams, native St. Louisan, formerly of Alabama and Ohio State, is one of those players that said he didn't totally understand the rules. He was unaware that he wasn't allowed to gamble on other sports while in the team facilities. First of all, buddy, they tell you these things. They make sure to make that very clear in your orientations. That's on you for not listening. I digress. That is what the question is about. The question is about, hey, there's some gambling stuff that, like, while maybe good, like, whether you agree with it, disagree with it, whatever, this is new to college football in that it is legal in a lot of states across the country now. How do you deal with that? How do you, as a coach, make sure to get it ingrained in your players that you cannot participate in this in a way that other people can, even if it is legal? How do you do that? So I think it's a really good question, and honestly, I think there could have been a good answer to this. What Drinkwitz gave had nothing to do with gambling. Nothing. It did not answer the question at all. It had nothing to do with what the question was that was asked. He then goes into NIL and money that is handed to these kids, which I suppose you can make a connection between those two things. If you have more money available, you may be more likely to gamble with it. He never made that specific connection within his answer, but whatever. If you're trying to connect the dots, I suppose that's where he's trying to get to. But his, his answer had nothing to do with the question that was actually asked of him. And then this is where I think like, I just don't give Drinkwitz the benefit of the doubt anymore because he does this all the time where he throws in one random quote where he talks about his brother making a bunch of money and these kids are making even more than him. Yeah, of course that's going to be the quote that ends up getting the headlines, Drinkwitz. That's why you did it. You said that to grab headlines. And that's okay. I don't have a problem with it. I promise you. I'm raising my voice and so it may sound like I am. But I don't. I do not care that he does this. I think it ends up going over a little better if you're better than a 500 coach while you're in college. But, whatever. If this is who you're going to be as a coach, be true to yourself and that's fine. The problem is when you then push back on everybody for you saying something for like the 30th time since taking over as the head coach at Missouri that caught some attention and you get mad because people are saying mean stuff about you online. That's what this is. Drink got mad that people said mean stuff about him online. That's fine. It sucks when people say mean stuff about you, man. I get it all the time because of the job that we have. Yeah. It sucks. It's not fun sometimes. Yeah. But it's it's part of the gig. And so if you say something like this, why do you think it is that, like, Kirby Smart never says anything interesting? Or Nick Saban never says anything interesting? It's because of this. Because they've been doing it for 20 years, and they know if you do, if you add some color into your answers, it's going to potentially get you into this kind of a spot sometimes. That's the truth. That's where we're at with social media, right, wrong, or indifferent. Drinkwitz plays into that. He leans into it, honestly. He wants to lean into it. And then when it goes in a way that he was unprepared for or didn't foresee, he gets all up in his feelings about it and he gets mad about it. It's fine, but you got to acknowledge that that's po a potential outcome when you have this kind of a way that you answer questions. It's it's silly to me, and I I, I didn't have an issue with what he said, honestly. like It, it didn't bother me at all. The, the response to the response is what bothered me in a weird roundabout way because it's nothing new. Drinkwitz does this where he gets mad at people for talking about what he said, even though he said it. And of course it was going to make headlines because that was his goal. Yeah. We, we live in a world where the free market economy has decided two things. Number one, that people with the money can buy whatever they want and do with whatever they want with it. So, over the past 10 years, very rich people have taken over media and tanked it to the point where your best reporters are freelancers or working for themselves or working for online outlets. And they are competing with schmoes like me who do this part-time. And we have equal voice. We have an equal voice in the discussion because we're all using the same platform. So that is what the free market economy has decided. It has also decided that people catching a ball or throwing a ball or hitting other people is way more entertaining than some dude writing a prescription for Dimatap. Okay? That is what we have decided. So going back to the first point, 
But if you are a media person whose livelihood depends on writing about sports media, you need to find things that are going to grab people's attention. And that's why they constantly complain about coaches who say nothing because it gives them nothing. They have to they have to come up with something, right? They have to figure out how do I how do I frame this in a way that's going to grab attention from this nothing burger of a 20-minute conference call that we had. Okay. So when you have coaches who put out things like that, buddy, they're going to recognize it and they're going to use it. And these athletes are making more than a pediatrician is your uncle at Thanksgiving who's existed for 40 years complaining about actors and athletes and anyone that they feel like doesn't deserve the money that they get. Because, yeah, pediatricians who save lives make more money. That is right up there with, I have a black friend or I know a lot of gay people. Like, it, it falls into a a a, 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 a crutch, a, a vocal crutch that people go, uh-oh, uh-oh. And anything you say after that they're not going to pay attention to that. They're going to pay attention to how you framed it, okay? So he should know that. He is the highest paid state employee of the state of Missouri. He's making $6 million a year to go out there and talk. He should know that he can't just riff. He should know that he can't just say anything and not expect blowback. And that's what happened here, okay? Again, to your point, he didn't talk about gambling at all. He talked about uh-oh, young people are bad with money. Wow, okay. Again, not breaking news, sure. But also, you know, let's, let's, let's go back to wedding crasher rule number six, right? Never call negative attention to yourself. That is what he was doing. He took a really good question and turned it into a negative. That's not good, okay? That's not a good thing. So people are going to latch on to that. And to your point, he has a history of doing this. God, you remember when he was asked, about the Arkansas rivalry. He said, I kind of like the rivalry we've got with Arkansas. I don't remember the last time they beat us, so I kind of like that one. What happened then? He lost. He was the first Missouri coach to lose that game in seven years. Okay? Let's rewind the clock six months. When he got Sam Williams to flip from Wake Forest to Missouri, he said, we kind of had an idea that was going to go our way during the coach's social that we had on Monday night. For all of us to keep a straight face and not let that one kind of slip was a little bit difficult. But, you know, in recurring, it's kind of fun. I don't rub it in as probably as much as I'd like to, but it's kind of fun when beat people who think they got you. Then he lost to Wake Forest. And Dave Clawson said, I like Eli Drinkwitz, but I don't know what he's doing here. That was, that was, that was an uncalled for comment. He says dumb stuff. He I'm calls negative show. I thought you were going to introduce me with my record, but the latest with the latest allegations against Tennessee, let's hold up on what my record is because I expect them to vacate some wins and that's going to help my record a little bit. He called oh, last summer. negative attention to himself and he can't back it up. And this is just another one of those things. So if you want to look, if you want to get mad for people dunking on your head coach, that's fine. That's fine. That's part of fandom, right? Get out there, defend your boy, whatever. But he brought this on himself and I like him because he's my head coach and I want him to do well, but I'm also going to call him out on dumb stuff that he does. This was a dumb thing. And I know there's a lot of Missouri people that say it's out of context. And like, why are we making this a big deal? Well, because he made it a big deal himself. And if you want to get all context, you know, journalism warrior on me, I can't wait to hear you talk to have the same kind of, you know, investigative journalism opportunity with Sam Pittman or, you know, the Nick Saban or God forbid, Hugh Freeze when they say something dumb because, you know, they're going to. Right. If this is just my side is losing and I'm going to defend him, then, okay, it's not about journalism. But if you actually care, then that's that's going to be part of it too. But the context, my God, he didn't even answer the question. You know what he should have done? You know what he should have done? And he kind of did that on Paul Feinbaum today. If you're not going to answer the question and you want to talk about NIL, he should have used that platform to say, hey, you know, actually, I'd like to pivot to NIL because our state just made one of the most progressive NIL laws in the country. And I was there to back it up. We had a former Missouri football player writing the legislation, like the legislation. Like it was a very proud moment for our school, for our state. Um, whatever our problems with our gambling, we're going to address it internally, but I'm really excited where we're at right now. I think there's a lot of great opportunities for NIL in Missouri. Boom, boom, boom. That is how you answer that question without answering the question. And he didn't do that. He brought a negative instead of talking about a positive. It just, it blows my mind that a guy who's a power five football coach can't do that sort of thing. Uh, I'm I'm totally with you. Can I also add one final thing on this? I'd love for you to wrap this up. Yes. I kind of like that Drinkwood says stupid stuff. 
Like it's fun. I, I enjoy it. it it's part of the win more games to back it up. hundred percent. Like that but this is the thing, right? If you win and you say the stupid stuff that Drinkwitz does, and it's it's not stupid. The silly stuff that Drinkwitz does, like it becomes a part of his character. It's it's Jimbo at Florida State. It's Dabo when he was winning at Clemson, right? Like, and I understand there's a lot of people that hate those guys. I'm not a huge fan of them either. But when they're your coach, it takes on a new meaning because then that's your guy. Yeah. And so I kind of appreciate that he says stuff that's a little bit more colorful and that it gets a rise out of people. And he is willing to talk a little bit of trash. He he feeds the fire of some of these rivalries. I, I think there's some positive in that because sports don't always have to be super serious. It, it can be fun. And Drinkwitz at times brings that fun element to sports, especially with some of the stuff that he's willing to say at a... Uh, at a press conference. That being said, what bothers me is when you're somebody who puts all the gasoline on top of the firewood, lights the match, throws it at the firewood, and it starts this massive flame that ends up kind of spiraling out of control. And then you look around and say, whoa, how'd that get so out of control? Like, dude, that's on you. You did this. You created this scenario. So, like, I don't have a problem with it inherently. The problem is, like, yo, if you're going to do this, accept the consequences that come along with it. Because eventually, yeah, you do lose the benefit of the doubt. I think the problem is that nobody was surprised that he said something like this. Nobody. Everybody assumed that there was no added context to Ross Dellinger's tweet. Why? Because it wouldn't have surprised anybody. Even if it was in context, it would have been like, yeah, that sounds like something that Eli Drinkwitz would say. And so that is part of this. Like, if I saw that exact same tweet from Ross Dellinger and it was about Nick Saban, I would have assumed that there was context that was missing. Because there's no way Nick Saban would have said that. Same thing is true, honestly, for Kirby Smart. With Eli Drinkwitz, you assume the opposite. And that's okay. It's not inherently a bad thing. It's just a different type of a personality to be a head coach, especially within the SEC. He is much more similar to a Lane Kiffin than he is a Nick Saban. That's okay. Um, you can win that way. But it it comes with these kinds of consequences. Lane Kiffin talks about coaches, though. He pokes Nick Saban. He pokes Jimbo. Like, he doesn't really talk about the players all that much. And he talks about, you know, kind of funny, very online stuff. Right. Fair. Maybe he's honestly like rest in peace to him. He's a little bit more like Mike Leach, honestly. Mike Leach was a train of thought yeah. talker, um, and he got himself in trouble too. But, um, yeah, Steve, Mike Leach was a weirdo. He was a super weirdo. Steve Spurrier was another trash talker, but he took his L's too. Like if you if you beat him, like he would, you would fess up to it. Um, that's the thing. Just take 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 your L. Take your elf. And like, yeah, I, I want coaches to be unique and funny and colorful, but just prepare. Prepare better. Don't use, you know, try to think about ways that you can frame something that's not going to create a, a, a headline generator for an industry that is craving headlines right now because they need to demand as much potential, you know, clicks as they possibly can. Um, that's, it, it, was, it wasn't Ross, it was going to be somebody else. There's somebody out there who's going to pull it. You just you got to think about what you're going to say and how it's going to come across. I've got one final thought on this. I'm sorry. Yeah. The NIL aspect of this, I do think is important. Sure. Yeah. Um, yes, it is true that Eli Drinkwitz has been very out front in supporting NIL opportunities. Trying to think of the best way to say this. That is very self-serving for Eli Drinkwitz to be out front on NIL being a good thing and the reason why i say that is because it is going in this direction and nobody's going to stop it this is a runaway train and whether coaches like it or don't you have to get on board otherwise this game is passing you by immediately because this is the way that things are headed players are making money now they're making big money in some cases now and if you don't like it well then you're going to get left behind you have no future as a college football coach so the fact that Eli Drinkwitz has been supportive of this and is finding new ways to get players more money, like on one hand, yeah, I, I respect that. I do. It's a smart thing for him. 
on the other hand, that could not be any more self-serving. That is like saying, hey, what is the best way for me to make this sale? Well, if I do X, Y, and Z, it makes it a little easier for me to close. That's what this is. This is helping Eli Drinkwitz close on the sale for in-state recruits with this latest legislation. That's all it is. He's not doing this out of the goodness of his heart. And I'm sorry, I'm not like diminishing anything that Eli Drinkwitz has done here, but Drinkwitz is doing this because it helps his recruiting. It helps him get guys like Luther Burden on campus when he is able to sell, I'm going to get you chips when you come here to Mizzou. Like it, it helps him to get a Sam Horn when he's able to offer him more money than other places are giving him. That's just like inherently true. If you were offered a job, Nate, at one place for $200,000 and another place is only willing to offer you $100,000, well, even if I really like that second place, hey man, an extra 100K a year, that's going to sell me, you know? If you have one opportunity where they say, hey, Nate, you know, um, we really like you. In six months from now, we're going to give you a raise. You're going to start out at a $50,000 salary, but six months from now, you're going to get up to $100,000. And another place says, Nate, we're going to start and keep you at $85,000. It's a $35,000 change for that first six months of the season or, uh, of your salary. Now, you may decide, I prefer the one where I get the 50K up front and then later on get the 100K. But it's possible you go with the $85,000 salary up front. That's what Eli Drinkwitz did with this legislation. He made it more possible for him to get the money to the club players quicker that are coming in-state. So it is self-serving what he's doing here with all of this NIL stuff. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't make him a bad person. It makes him smart. It makes him a salesman. And that's what he's trying to do is close these deals. So for those that are saying like, oh, but don't forget, like, God, think about the goodness of his heart. This man is supporting the children. Nah, man. This man is supporting himself. He's trying to keep that $6 million paycheck coming into his bank account every year until he has to be done with this university. So, like, I I, I think Eli Drinkwitz, sometimes people play him off as some dummy because he says some weird stuff. Eli Drinkwitz is a smart man. He knows exactly what he is doing. And he just got caught up in a mess here. That's all I got. Don't call negative attention to yourself. Keep it very plain. Keep it positive. And if you're going to be folksy and fun, think about how that's going to come across. That's all we ask. Or just back it up. Like, win the national title. I'm in for that. Let's do that. Hey, if he wants to prove the haters wrong, uh, <laughs> right, by winning the natty, right, knock yourself out. I'm not going to stop you. But that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt and H.E. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockham flagship at Rockham Nation and the podcasting outlet at Rockham Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Here we go.